listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. It started innocently enough, perhaps a tad naively, identifying which of the four readings assigned by the revised uh, common lectionary from the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, the Psalm, the epistle, and the gospel to decide among those four readings prescribed which ones we would follow for this second Sunday after Epiphany. It all started innocently enough. Me taking a look at the scriptures, just the titles, not the scriptures themselves, just the the headings, and I thought, okay, it makes sense for us to read through 1 Corinthians during this season of Epiphany time. 1 Corinthians, that Pauline epistle that has love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude, There's surely some good material in them, our biblical hills, to mine what possibly could go wrong. It started innocently enough. Well, you heard the reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this evening that Robin read for us. It's the kind of scripture that once it's read, could not be unread. Once it is heard, it cannot be unheard. It had me turning to chat GTP uh, this week. It had me even wondering, hey, maybe I could call Andrew. Maybe I could start a few weeks early. (laughs) Anything but having to wrestle with this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It is anything but love is patient and love is kind. As one commentator puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, we meet the Paul we either love or hate. He gives lessons, he stands on solid ground, and provides a clear moral compass. Flee debauchery, immorality, and the like. Either the command horribilates, this uh, commentator says, and I had to look up what that word was, horribilate means the the hairs on the back of your neck will stand up straight. Either these words from Paul horribilate because of its moralizing tone, or it reassures because it provides a clear behavior to follow and adopt. Now, regardless of whatever reaction this passage elicits, what we should attempt to do when we come upon Paul's letters, even especially those challenging portions, is to try to grasp what Paul was saying, to try to get into why he was saying what he was saying. To be sure, we approach Paul's letters at a disadvantage. We hear only his side of the communication. He is responding to 
concerns, to divisions, to strife that is happening in the Corinthian church. And they have sent him a letter, but we don't have that letter. So we don't know what they said. We only know what Paul is saying in return. It's generally thought that Paul founded the church at Corinth while he was living there for about a year and a half, around 49 to 51 of the Common Era. And it was sometime later, around 54 year in the Common Era, when Paul was living in Ephesus and he heard that all you know what was breaking out in the church in Corinth. They were fighting with each other. This church that he had founded, that he had poured his heart, his soul, his blood, sweat and tears into, this community that he loved so deeply and so dearly, they were tearing each other apart. It bothered him. It worried him. It perplexed him and it compelled him to his core. Now Paul responds to whatever correspondence the Corinthians sent to him. He responds with exhortations to be united as a body of believers over against divisions. And he exhorts them to maintain good behavior over against some very specific immoralities or lapses in good behavior. And he exhorts the Corinthians to settle disputes over against having one camp fighting against another or even, pray tell, going to the secular courts to try to solve whatever disputes were tearing them apart. With tonight's reading from Paul, Paul tackles one of the most difficult issues for the Corinthians. Ancient, for he, he tackles one of the most difficult issues for Christians, not just the Corinthian church, but for all of us, then and now, how do we negotiate? How do we respect? How do we live with the freedom that is ours as believers in Christ? Are we free to do whatever we want? Are we not free to do whatever we want? Or is there some other call upon us? All things are lawful for me. Paul begins the, the, the first line in tonight's reading. All things are lawful or all things are permitted. All things are legitimate. And uh, perhaps a better translation is, I say, is all things are permitted or everything is permissible. We are free in Christ, Paul affirms, to carry on our lives apart from restraints of any kind. The restraints of laws, the restraints of customs, the restraints of mores or expectations. We are free to deny systems of belief and behavior that others wish to prescribe for us. But when Paul says, all things are lawful for me, 
there's good reason to think that the Paul is quoting back to the Corinthians a slogan that he had originally said to them because he would have said something like, all oh, we are free in Christ. And so they start to say, Paul, hey, we're freed in Christ. We can do this, that, or anything that we care to. And Paul says, well, that's good and true to a point. But all is well and good until everyone doing whatever the heaven we want and we find that we are dominated by that libertarianism. We are dominated by something even more insidious. And the danger is that we become dominated by a lack of domination. And Paul is so insistent on this last point that he switches to the first person singular with an emphatic bow bent and he says, but I shall not myself be dominated by anything apart from being dominated or under the Lordship of Christ. I will not be dominated by anything apart from being under the Lordship of Christ. And indeed, at the end of the passage that we read tonight, Paul reminds his readers or his hearers, his listeners, that we are no longer our own. We were bought with a price, the redemptive life and death and resurrection of Jesus. For God so loved the world that God gave God's only begotten Son. We are adopted as God's own, and that places a claim upon us and on everything that we do. Paul then takes up forms of sexual misconduct that may or may not have been taking place among the Corinthians, fornication and carrying on with prostitutes. Given what Paul has said in the previous chapter, it's possible, possible that these activities are taking place under the slogan of all things are permitted, I can do whatever I want. Paul argues against fornication against carrying on with prostitutes, and his argument may be based on the view that when we engage in acts of immorality, we risk becoming enslaved by passion. Now, it is entirely possible that Paul is hung up on sex. He probably was not the first and certainly won't be the last pastoral leader so preoccupied. That said, I think what is key to understanding these words from 1 Corinthians are two basic principles that Paul is proclaiming. First and foremost, are we free to do whatever we want? Or is this gathering of believers, seekers who stumble and fall and rise again, is this not a context where there are demands that are put upon who we are and how we conduct ourselves among each other and with the world? Are we free to do whatever we want or is there another 
even more powerful demand placed on our lives. The second and intrinsically related proclamation that Paul is saying is, are we islands to ourselves, operating within our own silos and spheres of influence? Are we our, our own bosses? Or do we owe allegiance to something bigger, something more, a greater calling, a deeper summons that carries both responsibilities and accountabilities. Paul declares that we are part of the body of Christ. We are not islands to ourselves. We are not individuals working within our own silos. We are not isolated one from the other. A full disclosure, one of my pet peeves when we talk about church stuff is when we talk about, well, we're all volunteers here. We are not volunteers. We are part of the body of Christ and that places a call on us. We are not free to do whatever we feel we want to do. We have a call that is placed upon us, a connection with one another, obligations and accountabilities one to the other. I think there's a third principle that Paul is getting at or that we can take out of this passage. It is the third principle being that preoccupation, that assumption, that self-imposed domination that comes when we are convinced that we are right. When we are convinced that we are right, we can do so much damage one to the other. When we are convinced that we are right, that we have the corner on the truth, we can rot so much divisiveness, so much sin, so much brokenness within ourselves and within this body to which we are accountable. Somewhere, somehow, even here and even now, we need to realize that part of being the body of Christ is that we only ever grasp one small part of the picture. We need each other. We need this body to give us a sense of the greater whole and the greater good. We need each other to keep ourselves accountable when we stumble, when we fall, so that we too may rise again. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, 
and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.